Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you remember I said, with the last words on my lips, I am a revolutionary. Revolution comes with a price tag. You were slave to a flag in a country that clearly doesn't love you when they probably never have told you turn the other cheek. And they made it with a bad fucking protest in them cities. Told you go fight in the war. Vietnam, you died good riddance. The man of the house rule took you from your siblings. Turned around and pump crap right up in your city. And they just turned all your leaders to martyrs. You was off in the war. Now who was guarding your daughters? It was riots in the streets. Killed Malcolm and Martin. Called the National Guard up because we ride what I got up. And that was burning your guard. It's like an amendment on the fly. To you. Everything that they taught you was a lie to you. See, they scared of your skin and they dying to shoot. Take the American dream and then you die to pursue. One day it'll all make sense. We should end up out power, then it don't make sense. But none of that money matters when you live in madness. The one that you figure out that all you got is this. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. Right on. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. Right on. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. Right on. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. Right all right, all right. Welcome to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm on this broadcast from behind these enemy lines. I'm experiencing some technical difficulties. That is not a way to start a program, so bear with me. Guard your ears. Um, this mixer at like it's ready to give up the ghost or something. So, um. Let me just attend to some things. Um, your today's date is August the fourteenth, twenty fifteen. It is a Friday afternoon. Uh, lots to talk about today. Um, we are actually going to just conduct an open forum. Um, I try to do that on Fridays, uh, but there are some things uh, that I have posted in the program description that um, I think is news that is worthy to be disseminated. And whatnot. Um, some personal things happened to me the other night. Could have turned into a life-changing event, but fortunately, I was able to end the confrontation uh, peacefully. The our air conditioning system had been out for like two days, man. Finally got that fixed, so I'm just not really uh, feeling well today. I am not particularly in a talkative mood, uh, but. You know, I took the day off yesterday, so I cannot take another day off. Got to get this information uh, out there to the people. Got to continue the operations, even days that where we don't feel like putting in no work. We have to put in work. Um, some of the things that's in the news today, unfortunately, I, I have to talk about this attack on 
uh, our elder Daruba Ben Wahad, uh, elder, elder in the Black Liberation struggle. Uh, this man, 71 years old, born in 1945, uh, founder of one of the New York City Black Panther Party chapters. I'm talking about the original Panthers, of course. Uh, the co-founder, along with Asada Shakur, of the Black Liberation Army. Uh, he was attending an event, some kind of Black Power conference, or, or I, I'm not sure of the name of it or whatnot, but I was sent a press release. I've been actually sent several press releases by uh, several different people talking about this brutal assault on this 71-year-old man, a veteran of the Black Liberation struggle, and he was, he was attacked allegedly on the orders of Malik um, Zulu Shabazz. Um, I don't know if this man is part of the new Black Panther Party or not, because I've seen so much conflicting information since just last year when he made his appearance in, in Ferguson was telling black folks to get out of town by sundown. And that if you out here protesting after dark, then you, you do not have our support. And so it was I had read that he was no longer a leader of the new Black Panther Party movement, but yet. You know, he still described as such in, in press uh, reports coming out even today. So I don't know. I don't know what this guy um, is actually doing. Um, but if he ordered this attack and from everything I've read, there is no reason not to believe uh, that he ordered this attack on this elderly man. That is just that's just unacceptable. That is shameful behavior. And I have to come on these airways and condemn it. There is no excuse to be be using violence against members of our uh, community, uh, especially such a veteran elder like uh, Mr. Ben Wahad. Uh, he's been a guest on this program primarily on uh, Political Prisoner Radio. He is a former political prisoner, spent 19 years in prison on a prison plantation for his, his work to liberate black people. And and so we've talked about him and interviewed him on Political Prisoner Radio, which airs on this network on Sunday nights. Uh, he is an advocate for political prisoners. He is he has not forgotten um, his comrades that are still on these prison plantations being tortured. So I have nothing but respect for this for this elder and for this to happen to him is just very unacceptable. Um, so I want to talk about that. Um, want to give you an update here locally in Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't live in Charlotte, of course, but I live 15 minutes away from Charlotte. But um, Charlotte is uh, getting some national news attention because another killer cop is has is on trial right now. And I'm speaking of the former. I don't know if he's a former Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department um, officer or not. If he lost his job, if he's suspended pending the outcome of this trial. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but Randall Carrick is the officer who gunned down uh, Jonathan Farrell, a unarmed black man who had crashed his car, had an accident in this, I don't want to call it a wealthy neighborhood, but let's say it was upper middle class neighborhood. He had crashed his car and uh, went knocking on doors seeking help and 
police were called on him. He was falsely accused of trying to break into this white woman's house when all he was doing was knocking on the door and asking for help. He saw he was going to get no help, so I guess he was looking for more help or walking back towards his car uh, when he was um, unmercifully gunned down by this killer cop, Jonathan Pharrell. Well, anyway, I mean, excuse me, Randall Carrick, uh, Jonathan is the victim. Anyway, this um, killer cop was on the stand today, and he made some very troubling comments, not surprising comments, but very troubling comments, as well as um, revealed some illegal practices of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department, if indeed he is being truthful uh, in his revelation. Um, now. Uh, members of the Huey P. Newton Gun Club and the New Black Panther Party in Texas marched on the Waller County, Texas jail where Sandra Bland was found dead under mysterious circumstances in a jail cell in Waller, Waller County. And um, I think it was very constructive. I think it was very constructive. Um, a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, let's just say some people do not uh, support armed open carry events and as what took place down there in Waller County, T Texas by the Huey P. Newton Gun Club and the New Black Panther Party in Texas, but uh, I wholeheartedly support it. I wholeheartedly support it. Black people had to stop being afraid of exercising their rights and I'm talking about their human rights. But, of course, we know the uh, Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution does give people a right to be armed. And so um, I don't see a problem with black people arming themselves. And in fact, I would say that it's a must. All right. And so I wholeheartedly support this open carry event that just took place um, over the past week uh, there in Waller County, Texas. Uh, Ferguson, you may not have heard, but Ferguson has a interim black police chief. I'm getting conflicting reports. I don't know if he is just the interim police chief until they hire a permanent chief, and I'm not sure if he's the permanent chief, but he, he is a black uh, person. Um, he is a, I guess, career police officer, and he has found his way to Missouri Ferguson by way of Arizona. And from some of the reports that I have read, his police record leaves a lot to be desired. Now, uh, speaking of Missouri, we are hearing from some news outlets that the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department is buying chemical weapons to use as crowd control agents. And they're getting getting this from Israel. They're getting this chemical called skunk spray or something like that. They're getting it from Israel. And I may not talk about it a lot, but I'm sure I've mentioned in the past the relationship that the Israeli, um, whether they're private security firms like the one we saw down there during Hurricane Katrina, uh, helping. Uh, to confiscate people's legally owned firearms uh, during that fiasco or whether or not it is Israeli police uh, coming here to the United States to provide training to uh, U.S. police departments on how they are mistreating and oppressing and abusing and occupying Palestinians in their homeland. And so a lot of people need to recognize that this is a global struggle against white uh, racist and certainly the Israelis have shown themselves to be white racist 
Uh, people get hung up on the classification of a Jew. Again, that's a religious classification. It's not an ethnic classification. It's not a racial classification. Uh, these people who I am talking about are white people from Europe. They are descendants of Europeans. All right. And so they practice white supremacy. And they people should recognize that they have a relationship with many police departments here in the United States. I think the New York City Police Department even has a branch in Israel. Now, what the hell the NYPD is doing with a police branch in Israel is is beyond me. But that should tell you something that, that these relationships between police terrorists in this country um, you know, and the terrorists over there in Israel. That's very troubling. That's very troubling. But again, this just points to a global struggle. It points to a global struggle by many oppressed people. And our struggles are linked, whether we want to acknowledge them or not. It's not just about black people. All right. It's not just about us. We are we are a part of a struggle against a global enemy. At least that's how I see it. So those are some of the things that, um, that I would like to talk about. Again, this is open forum. So if you have anything that you would like to report, uh, comment on, uh, please do give us a call. Way to get in is 530-881-1400. The access code is 549-032-POUND. Once you dialed in the conference line, hit star six and one to comment on air. You can also use the web-based flash phone to call into the program as long as you have a pair of headsets and obviously a computer and internet connection. And you can call in from anywhere in the world and it'll be a free call. All right, just use those same telephone numbers. I'm going to give it out several times during the program. 530-881-1400, access code 549-032-POUND. And, of course, you can just listen or if you want to comment, hit star six and one. All right. Um, I had I had a, um, a confrontation with a suspected racist um, the other night, two nights ago, um, right here where I live, where I live is an important meaning. I'm not going to give you my address. OK, but anyway, uh, there's a church that sits on family property. I live right next door. Um, the other night, two nights ago, it's about 11 o'clock at night. I happen to um, look out the window and I see this vehicle parked behind the church um, that I live next door to. Now, I go to the vehicle to check it out because I don't know, you know, if it's a vehicle that belongs to a member of the church. They have been doing some construction work. Over there on the inside of the church, they had this trailer with materials in it behind the church. And so I'm thinking perhaps somebody might have left their truck there. Um, I didn't recognize the truck, so I went to the truck and I looked in the truck to make sure it wasn't like, you know, some teenagers or young people in the truck having sex, you know, behind the church and whatnot. But, you know, the first thing that was on my mind is, you know, potential terrorism. And so, of course, I was, of course, I was cautious. I was armed and whatnot. And so I looked in the vehicle, didn't see anybody in the vehicle. And then the next thing I know, I see this white person, uh, this white male, appeared to be in his 20s, 
uh, come from around the corner of the church. And he said something, but I don't know what he said. Okay, so then I asked him, I said, is this your vehicle? And he was like, yeah. I said, what are you doing back here? And he goes like, well, I'm hiding my truck from my wife because she's drunk and whatnot. And I was like, wouldn't it make more sense to hide the keys from her? Why are you, why, why would you bring this truck behind this church? You know, I said, haven't you heard the news about black churches burnt, being burnt down? And he goes, oh, I would never do something like that. And he was like, I just didn't know what else to do. And my wife was drunk and I didn't want her to get the car and, and whatnot. And, you know, then he mentions that his wife is black. And I'm like, I'm like looking at this dude with the side of course. And I'm not believing anything that he's saying. And I tell him, you know what? Just get in your truck and leave. Just go. You need to be careful out here where everything is going on in the world, everything that has been going on in the South. Uh, you need to be careful. Coming up on people's private property late at night and whatnot. And so the dude apologized and, and whatnot, and he got in his truck and he left and he left. You know, and of course, I made a mental note of the license plate. In case, you know, I was to hear the next day that the church had actually been broken into I, I, after he left. I went, did my rounds around the church and I didn't see, you know, any forced entry or anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, I did make a mental note of the license plate. And so, you know, I shared that experience with people on Facebook because, you know, in case you didn't know, I've made a series of videos, um, especially in the wake of the terrorist attacks that happened on the church in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, so I have been making these series of videos, you know, just to promote uh, the protection of our property, right? All these churches being burnt down. I think something like eight churches had burnt down since that horrific terrorist attack. And, you know, most of them under suspicious circumstances, even though one of them, they said, you know, lightning caused that and whatnot. And, and one of the churches was actually in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina and whatnot. So I had made about three or four videos um, of me, you know, just making my rounds of the church and providing some political commentary to keep it interesting and just trying to promote, you know, we cannot be relying on police. We cannot be relying on the state to protect our property. We have to protect our property. And it is just shameful that during this period of heightening heightened, you know, terrorist activity that uh these things keep happening because of our lack of action, of our lack of just being um having battlefield awareness really. So, you know, um, so yeah, I, you know, I've been promoting that and whatnot. And then, uh, shit. All right. Let me see if my, um, audio system is working right. Yeah, it's working right, man. I had to uh, invest in some, uh, more equipment. I hate to do it, but got to do it. Got to invest in some more equipment. Let's see. I'm not hearing any audio. Give me a moment. Testing one two, testing one two. All right, that's better. All right, sorry about that. Sorry. So anyway, you know, some people had made some comments. Uh, people had emailed me about it, and 
you know, this one person was saying, like, I should have shot the person or whatnot. Well, this man was unarmed. I could see his hands. He didn't have anything in his hands. You know, it is a well-lighted area. <clears throat> it didn't used to be so, but, um, yeah, they got, uh, I don't know what was the deal with that one, uh, what people call a street light, you know, but it's in the in the uh, back of the church and whatnot. It wasn't working in the past, and it was dark, and I had, had mentioned something about that to the uh, pastor there, and so they must have got that light turned back on. So it was a very well-illuminated uh, area when I saw him and I'm not like I'm not the, I'm not a person that wants to kill anyone and I'm definitely not going to uh, kill unnecessarily you know and so then you know I'm thinking you know people were saying well why didn't you call the police well because I don't trust the police even though I personally have not had an issue with any other Gaston County police around here I still don't trust them they still racist suspects, okay? And so what was I going to do? Hold this man at gunpoint? You know, number one, I wasn't even going to point a gun at him because that is considered assault here in North Carolina. If you point a gun at someone, that's an assault charge, okay? So no pointing of guns. I would have had to keep him there and wait on the police. I would have had to hold him at gunpoint. Now, if the police came and they pull up, and they see this black man, you know, with a rifle in his arms. What do you think the chances are, you know, one of them might claim, oh, I fear for my life and, and gun me down, you know, so or try to flip it around on me. And try to charge me with something, and let, let this guy go. So we have to have battlefield awareness. We have to think ahead of time. Um. I don't, I try to limit my interactions with police as much as possible. Now, if I had seen signs of a break-in or whatnot or caught him in the act, of course I would have called call the police, all right? But I didn't see any of that, all right? So I'm not calling, I'm not calling the police. I don't want to talk to the police if I don't have to talk to the police, all right? So, you know, I just, I, I just don't believe in calling the police on people we can handle things without bringing the police into it is there are times where we have to bring the police into it certainly but that was not a time to be bringing calling the police so i can get gunned down you know out there in my own yard you know so man no no i wasn't calling the police now this dude he knows he knows now that somebody is watching that church and that He's taking his own life into his hands by creeping around on private property in the middle of the night. So I was happy to end that confrontation peacefully because, you know, I could have it could have easily went a different way. And then next thing, you know, if I'd have had to shoot this dude, then the next thing I know, I'm putting my life in the hands of what probably is going to be an all white jury here in the county that I live in. Now, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to put my family through no unnecessary uh, heartache. You know, then people got to raise money to get me out on bond, raise money to try to get an attorney and all this and that. No, 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 no. So, again, when we have these uh, interactions with racist suspects and things, we just have to be thinking clearly. We have to be thinking ahead of all the possible outcomes. So, you know, I think I handled it perfectly.
Now, I want to move on. Uh, let me see. Coming up on a break. Need to take this station identification break. And then when I come back, um, I want to talk about this attack on uh, Elder Daruba uh, Ben Wahid. And I first want to play. Uh, it's a clip that I found from the Real News Network from July of uh, him giving an interview. And the reason I'm going to put uh, play this interview that he gave is because it's relevant to what is alleged to have happened at this conference where he was attacked at. So you're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I broadcast Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Friday right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. We will be back on the other side. Sing, Pop Goes the Weasel. Pop goes the pop goes the wine and the weasel. I see the empty pocket and needs a refill. I got a squad with a list of complainers. I should have started race. Rappers against phony entertainers. So we can make it known that we won't get swayed. It's 91, son. So something's got to change. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, welcome back. Let me, um, I have linked to the press release. Um, I added a little commentary, my own commentary, but I have published that on BladTalkRadioNetwork.com in the blog section is titled Did Malik Zulu Shabazz of the National Black Panther Party Order an Attack on 71-Year-Old Elder uh, Activists? All right, so again, this information came out. Uh, let me see. This occurred in Atlanta at a, a hotel in downtown Atlanta. The New African Press International issued a press release on that. I've been sent some more information via email and it's basically restating the same information there's no new information uh so for now this is all that we know all right so this, let me just read the press release and then i'll play the comments of uh brother daruba bin wahad says that uh movement activists violently attacked in atlanta con um, let me see. Movement activists violently attacked at Atlanta conference on Saturday, August the 8th, 2015. A group of six black liberation movement activists were violently attacked at a downtown Atlanta hotel. The group included members of the Free the People movement, including their coordinator, Kalonji Jamachanga, members of the Nation of Gods and Earths, and Daruba Ben-Wahad, the internationally recognized former Black Panther Party leader and political prisoner of 19 years. The group was jumped by 25 to 30 members of the new Black Panther Party at the Power Belongs to the People 2015 Summit in Atlanta, Georgia, an event hosted by the new Black Panther Party. According to eyewitnesses, 71-year-old Daruba Ben-Wahad and others approached the side of the stage where attorney Malik Zulu Shabazz was speaking. While standing there, Shabazz, leader of the new Black Panther Party, asked, Who is that? Ben-Wahad replied, You know who I am. Shabazz responded, Wahad, we'll deal with you later. Ben-Wahad countered with, You can deal with me now. 
knowing that Daruba Ben Wahad was there with information that would publicly expose Shabazz government affiliations that contradict his stance as a nationalist and activist for black liberation, Shabazz immediately ordered the MBPP members in attendance to get his bitch ass out of here. At that point, the whole group was mobbed and violently attacked by at least 25 members of the audience. As they defended themselves, the men were struck with chairs and other objects. Ben Wahai's jaw was broken in three places. One of his associates was choked unconscious and others received head gashes that required staples. As of this release, Ben Wahai is undergoing a six-hour surgery to reconstruct his jaw and the others have been treated and released. More details will follow as information as is gathered. So that's the end of the press release. Now I have received different, um, I have received more information that I will share with you. But let me just say this off the gate. There is no excuse. There is no, nothing you can tell me that is going to justify such a brutal assault on members of our community. We people are going to have disagreements. People are, are, you know, are not going to 100% agree on everything, okay? But what does it look like when black people, especially conscious black people, so-called conscious black people, so-called revolutionaries, all right, are attacking each other? Now, I'm not talking about rhetoric. I'm not talking about, you know, getting on the internet or any kind of form of media and talking about some of the issues that we have in the black liberation movement which is ongoing all right so i'm not i'm not talking about those sort of things i'm talking about a physical attack where you harm someone in our community brother deruba had been attacked by a Georgia police officer not that long ago. That cop was just arrested. I believe he was just arrested or fired, at least fired. I talked about it earlier this week where he was moving into his home in Georgia. Somebody allegedly called the police and the police acted like, you know, it was a house break in and brother um Ben Wahad informed them that it was his house. He has the key to the front door. It was no break in and they didn't believe him and they mistreated him and, and slammed him into the, you know, this is a brick home. His home is made of brick, slammed him into the brick wall and, and slammed him on the ground and whatnot and, and arrested him. Now he survived that account, that attack by police. He survived that without serious injury. And now he's hospitalized with a broken jaw, broken in three places, has to go undergo surgery, which I understand is successful, has been successful, and, and he's in the hospital bed recovering right now. I mean, how how does that look? How does that look to anyone? How does that look to anyone, especially our young people? We're out here preaching all this black unity against white terrorism and, and whatnot. And this occurs. I have yet to see 
any of these people attack a white racist like this. Never seen it. Never read about it. Never heard about it. I ain't never seen them put their hands on some white racist like that. But you attack an elder in our community, a veteran of the black liberation struggle, and you beat him worse than the fucking police beat him? I'm sorry, y'all. I ain't mean to cuss. There is no justification for that. None. I don't care if you agree with what he had to say and him coming up to the stage or whatnot. There's no justification for such a brutal, vicious attack on anyone, let alone a 71-year-old man. What kind of punk ass are you that you beating down old men like that? That's some punk shit. I don't care what an old person in my community says to me, how disrespectful they may be. They can curse me out. They can say whatever they want to say against me. I'm not going to put my hands on them. I know better than that. I was raised better than that. And I just don't see how anyone can try to justify this. And people are trying to justify this in a couple of comments I've, I've seen on Facebook. They are trying to justify. Saying, you know, he put his hand in his pocket. Oh, so you want to sound like the fucking police now, huh? He made furtive movements. He put his hand in his pocket. And so we had to attack him and all this and that bullshit. It's no excuse. It's no justification. There's no rationalization that you can come up with that's going to justify these actions. I'm going to play this clip of Brother um, Ben Wahad. He was uh, talking to the news, Real News Network, which is based in Baltimore. And, you know, we do have to have these conversations. And I've talked about, you know, studying the enemy's tactics and some of the mistakes that we have made as a people in the past. And I'm talking about people engaged in struggle. Not talking about the ordinary masses or, or anything like that. I'm talking about people engaged, engaged in movement struggle. We had to learn from the past. We had to learn from how the movement was destroyed by the U.S. government, primarily through COINTELPRO, through agents, through infiltrators, through provocateurs. And so this is the context of what allegedly um, you know, Ben Wahad was going up to the stage to talk about according to this press release. And again, I can only go off the press release. I can only go off of the information that I'm getting from people. Some sending it privately. I'll share some of that with you. Some are, you know, just posting on Facebook, giving their thoughts. So this is the context of, of what was Ben Wahad is being accused of, oh, he was going to expose Malik 
Zulu Shabazz is being a government agent. And that's why he, you know, has an open door policy to be able to go on Fox News racist network and talk about the white man, the devil and all this bullshit. This is that uh, that interview. And, and again, I apologize, people, but, uh, you know, we shouldn't be getting emotional. But I'm pissed off. I'm pissed the fuck off, man. How do you jump on an old man like this? How do you do it? How do you bring yourself to an attack to attack an old man? Let's just lay aside his legacy as a, as a founding member of the chapter of the new Black Panther Party, NYC, but a co-founder of the Black Liberation Army, and this is how you treat him, like just like the the enemy. You treated him just like an enemy. Why would you uh, why would you attack this man like that? Why would you order an attack on this man like this? And I guess it'll be some time before Ben Wahai can share the information that he was going to share. Because now he got a broken jaw and he can't talk. So I wonder if that was the intent. Anyway, let me, let me uh, this is uh, Daruba Ben Wahad. He was speaking to uh, Jared Ball on the news, Real News Network, about confronting false leadership and revisionism history when it comes to black liberation struggle. It's about 13 minutes long. I'm going to let it play in its entirety. What's up, world, and welcome back to another edition of I Mix What I Like here at the Real News Network. I'm Jared Ball in Baltimore. As new generations of activists enter political struggle here in the United States, they enter into a vacuum created by this country's most aggressive repression of revolutionary movements. Assassinations, exile, and long-term political imprisonment have left many of the most seasoned and politically educated revolutionaries incapable of having the requisite influence on successive generations of activists and influence vital to the success of such movements. Our guest in this segment of I Mix What I Like has recently written a number of provocative public commentaries calling to task several prominent and aspiring black leaders and organizations who are beneficiaries of and replicants of what he has called stealth history. Daruba Ben Wahad is a former political prisoner and member of both the Black Panther Party and Black Liberation Army and is one of our strongest political analysts still willing to perform that function. We welcome him to the show. Welcome, Daruba, to I Mix What I Like here at The Real News. Thank you for having me on, Jack. So as I sort of said at the beginning, you have written these commentaries in response to what I'm describing as a vacuum of leadership created by COINTELPRO or the Counterintelligence Program and the repression of the, in this case, black liberation struggle in the United States. You've been critical of the Nation of Islam's Million Man March, the 20th anniversary coming up here in a few months. You've been critical of the New Black Panther Party and its leadership. Uh, and, uh, and, and so if you would, take us through a little bit of this, this argument of yours and what you've been calling stealth history. Well, actually, it's a term that was coined by, uh, by, by Eric Cummins. 
um, uh, back in in the um, in the 19, early 1990s, and he was um, he was pointing out how a number of publications were put out by the mass media, purportedly by former Black Panthers or or uh, individuals that had close relationships to the Black Panther Party leadership. And these individuals turned out to be, for the most part, uh, police agents. They, some of, one of them um, was, a, was, a, uh, was a young Republican who went underground and wrote these books, you know, Spitting in the Wind um, and, and, and these other publications, in which they just out and flat out lied about uh, uh, prominent leaders in the black liberation movement in general, and particularly the Black Panther Party. And this history has been, this, this, this revision of events has been allowed to percolate and marinate because of the rise of a new comprador class uh, that we have in, in, that we had after the uh, 60s and early 70s. That new comprador class, of course, is, as I indicated, uh, mainly derived from, uh, from former allies of, of Martin Luther King and the nonviolent integrationist movement. Uh, these individuals and organizations abandoned poor people in order to have a place at the table, at the corporate table at the uh, table of empire you know, so, you, you know you've you've raised uh, i think important critiques here you know you were critical of uh, you've long been critical of the nation of islam and it's it's as you've called it messianic approach to to struggle here you were critical of al sharpton the national action network uh, and of course, the new Black Panther Party for its, uh, uh, you know, claiming the logo and name in many ways, but uh, absent the analysis and the programs of the original Black Panther Party. My one question, I would like to get into some of the details of those arguments, but my one question to you initially is, what do you say to those who argue that public critique of other black leaders and organizations that are ostensibly trying to do some good is a flaw. It's a, it's a flawed approach and something that holds us back. How do you first address that critique that I know you've heard uh, and that I've heard uh, um, many times over the years? Because we're making an assumption that the people that we're supporting and the people that we fail to critique are actually advancing an agenda of, 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 of black folks. We're making that assumption because of their pretense, because perception is reality. I mean, we look at organizations and they have these nice uniforms and they seem disciplined and they seem organized. But when you look on the reality, what do we have in terms of political empowerment? Do we have an independent black political party? Do we have an independent political party that represents all of the people who are maligned by empire in the United States, or whether they're immigrants, whether they're Latinos, whether they're gay and lesbian? Do we have this type of political organization? Given these, um, given this type of leadership, no. What we have are organizations that 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 um, that parade around and uh, and show discipline and give and give fiery speeches that the right wing uses to organize and raise money uh, uh, with. And and on the other hand, when we look here, when we look in the black community, we look at these organizations. They're called like we had a million man march and we had a follow up to the million man march. And the issue is not so much that you're calling black folks together. The issue is what do you do when you do call them together? And also how do they come together? When you look at the, and, and anyone that knows what I'm talking about, any activists in any of these cities know I'm telling the truth. You cannot have unity and don't have principles. When you have an organization any organization that wants to claim a, nas a national following, uh, a significant influence on the masses, and then it goes into the communities and it calls together all the activists who are actually doing the work on the ground in the community and say, look, we need all to come together in Washington, D.C. on this date and, uh, and, and, and demand A, B, C, and D. 
And then the organizations go out and they do all of this work. They mobilize the people. They raise funds. They go knocking on the doors to turn people out. These are the activists. These are organizations on the ground who are doing this. This is not the people that's calling for this, this, this convocation. They're not doing anything. So when you do wind up in, in, with, with a mass demonstration, they're the ones that's on the stand, they're the ones that's on the podium, and they have no program. They have nothing to offer. They have no strategic vision. They have no analysis. All they do is give you an emotional speech. All they do is rile you up and then tell you to go back to your place and do, continue to do what you've been doing before you came there. And then it's gone. It's done. It's a done deal. Okay, this happens a time and time again. The National Action Network does the same thing in a different way. You remember the national rally that they called for uh, justice, and they had demonstrations in over a dozen cities around the United States. But the major press conference that was defining everybody's demonstration was held in New York by Al Sharpton, who was sitting there with the, um, with the uh, families of the victims of police killings. And that's another thing. We have moved into an era where we are dealing with leadership by victimhood. The victims who the families of the victims, mainly apolitical black folks, mainly poor people, mainly people who never had any political agenda, didn't have any political analysis. They wind up with a child or a husband or a loved one murdered by by the fascist police, and then they're thrust into the limelight. And we have a bunch of attorneys that are that, that, that run to, to defend them. Usually some of them are paid by people like Sharpton or whatever, and they come to defend them, and they haven't won a case yet. And you know, I heard they, you, Daruba. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I heard you make that point in your uh, initial press conference with uh, uh, announcing the formation of the coalition to combat police terrorism uh, with Brother Kalanji Changa and former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney, among others. And you made this point in that press conference that you were not there looking to speak for the families of the victims of police violence uh, because you were part of a, of a so, uh, if I understood you correctly or remember correctly, a political uh, a, a vanguard or organized effort to, to respond to the conditions of the community, not necessarily to speak on behalf of the families. And this is, I believe, part of the point you were trying to make. Is that correct? That's correct, because uh, we cannot allow a leadership by victimhood. It's tragic what happened to these families, but that's the reason why, in our own way, according to our own analysis, everyone is responsible for what they know and for what they, what they, what they need to do based on that knowledge. So we come forth in order to demand accountability, in order to demand justice, in order to hold to, uh, uh, to, to, to account those black leaders who allow these conditions to exist. You have to understand that the militarization of the police occurred while we have the current uh, um, uh, black leaders and so-called black militants on 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 watch. It's occurred. Mass incarceration occurred on Sharptons and all of these folks' watch. On the post-civil rights leaders' watch. It wasn't. And they called for the militarization of the police in order to fight drugs that was introduced in the community by the government. They called on the government to fight it. And our community has been ravaged by it ever since. You know, Daruba, you, you, you know, we, the uh, President Obama just gave a major address uh, the other day, or just last night, in, in fact, uh, to the NAACP about mass incarceration. Um, I'm wondering if you had a chance to see that and if you had any response to that, given what you've just said. And then also, and finally, I would want you just to say a word or two uh, uh, to to all the activists coming into the struggle now, as I started off this segment with, and to, to those gathering, for instance, in Cleveland at the end of this month for the Black um, um, Lives Movement Conference, uh, and to those who have joined the Black Lives Matter Conference, what might you say to all of that? So I'm asking you if you could defold into a concluding comment your response to Obama's uh, press conference or NAACP speech about uh, mass incarceration, and then a word of advice to uh, those entering the movement now. 
Well, briefly, the only thing I can say, unless we develop a revolutionary analysis of our situation in the United States and begin to build um, uh, um, sovereign thinking uh, uh, um, institutions in our community, we have the resources, we have the ability to do that. Unless we're able to do this, unless we're able to, 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 to sweep away all of this miscellaneous stuff and come together and do that, then we are not going to succeed. And the, and the major impediment to that are the types of behavior, the types of practice of people and organizations like we were just discussing. We have a bogus, we have a bogus black bourgeois leadership, a bogus uh, leadership of gatekeepers. We have we have storefront militants. We have messianic leaders who lead us around in circles. What we really need to do is understand concrete organization of masses of people around concrete issues. We are not going to legislate away white supremacy. We are not going to legally sanction the culture and the system of white supremacy. They could point, appoint all the prosecutors, special prosecutors they want. That's not going to change the mindset of white folks who believe in, in, in the system that they created for their privilege. And so the only way we're going to deal with that is we have to develop a revolutionary approach to these. We have to build a new abolitionist movement and not a reform movement. And one of the major problems with the Black Lives Matters is that the history, their history, where they're coming from, is totally disconnected from the legacy of, of black radicalism and revolutionary thought in this country. And with that disconnection, they are unable to come up with and understand strategies and analyses that will really empower us. But I urge them, of course, to stay in the streets. I urge them to keep putting pressure on the black compradore class and on the system and, um, and, and exercise the only real political power that we have in this country. And that's as a social, political, and cultural monkey wrench, an economic monkey wrench. We need to bring things to a halt. If we can't, if 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 if, if we can't uh, drive safely in the streets without being murdered by police, then the police shouldn't be able to come to our community at all without the threat of death, without the threat of sanction. That's what it should be. Our community should be able to defend themselves and defend their integrity. And there's nothing wrong with that. Every human being has the right to self-defense, except black people. We only have the right to forgive. We only have the option to beg mercy for mercy. This is a this is a coward's mentality. This is surrender to white supremacy and the militarization of American society. What? So we need to understand that this is a hard struggle and we will be characterized as, as, as haters and, and terrorists or whatever, but the empire, whenever we throw a brick at, at white supremacy in America, we throw, also throw a brick at American empire abroad and the support of imperialism. Uh, 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 around the world. Well, Daruba Ben Wahad, thank you very much for joining us in this segment of I Mix What I Like here at the Real News Network. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us here at the Real News Alright, again, um, that is a clip from the Real News Network that was uh, Professor Jared Ball who was conducting the interview and you know, I just wanted, for people who have never heard of Brother Daruba, you know, just to give you um a sample of what this man is about all right this man spent 19 years as a political prisoner all right victim of COINTEL program look up the panther 21 all right and so he's lived through all of that he has gained experience and invaluable insight into movement struggle and so when someone likes him like him starts talking about agents in our midst and questioning, you know, ties that 
people who claim to be about black liberation and they have ties to these news corporations, white supremacist news corporations and, and, you know, trying to go mainstream, trying to be a part of, of American mainstream, then, you know, I'm a listen. I'm a listen. And I have had, you know, my own, um, I may not have stated them publicly, but had conversations, you know, with people offline. I have had plenty of of reasons of to be concerned about some of the things I've seen and heard Malik Zulu Shabazz say. For example, I put out a report last year during the Ferguson Rebo uh, Rebellion, like I mentioned at the beginning of the program, about telling black folks to get out of town by sundown. If you out here in the streets after dark, we're not going to support you. You know, what kind of hell, what kind of crap is that to say, you know, to young people out there struggling in the streets that's waging warfare against the system? You know, what kind of mess is that? That's not something a revolutionary would say. And so, you know, that is the context, I, I guess, of, you know, he allegedly was going to point out, man, he was going to point out. Uh, some of these things concerning Malik Zulu Shabazz. And again, I don't have any insight into the information that he has. Um, you know, that is a serious accusation to make towards anyone when we start talking about, you know, modern day COINTELPRO uh, agents and whatnot. But again, you know, I've had my own reasons over the years to uh, have questions, have questions. All right. Now, with that said, I want to share some information. I'm not going to share the person's name uh, because they sent it to me privately. So I'm not going to uh, use their name, but I'm going to share some information, a message that was sent to me. All right. Um, they said, hi, Scotty. I read your commentary about the attack on Daruba Ben Wahad. I am closing our, um, I'm closing our declaration of freedom okay yeah that's what that is they had uh um used some different words i ain't understand it i am closing our declaration of freedom the ones following malik zulu is not us all panther factions are an offshoot of the people's new black panther party the ones who beat our elder were not voted on to be in our ranks because they are crazy we are the people's party and we are the people's party and voted in by the people using democratic centralism of African people. Hence the ones we expelled from our own groups. Again, they are not us. Please see our declaration of freedom and we'll help you understand uh, peace. Here's the declaration of freedom that we'll share. We. The principal members of the new Black Panther Party for Self-Defense and Consequence of the current vacated seat of the National Chairperson of the MBPP Central Committee and as a consequence of the current vacated seat, excuse me, as a consequence of this development, the MBPP and its Central Committee was left without its highest officer and leader. This was followed by the abandonment of the revolutionary scientific practice of democratic centralism to have full discussion, deliberation, and a people's vote to replace the leadership we have lost. Furthermore, the ex post facto actions of the outgoing chairperson to appoint a chairperson without a democratic process inclusive of the rank and file was an act against the people, the, the party, 
man, this thing is messing up. I apologize. Um, this this mixer, I'm gonna have to take it apart. I bet you some wires are loose somewhere. That's when my audio is messing up like that. Apologies. I will work on that this weekend. Uh, we all stand on in consequence of these acts and our revolutionary determination to go a different way to build a better and more principled organization do hereby declare ourselves free of this undemocratic appointed structure and do not recognize the authority of the central committee nor its appointed chairperson we from here on out shall be committed to our people and our revolutionary principles to tell no lies and claim no easy victories, to clean up the good name of the new Black Panther Party for self-defense from the unrighteous commandism and unprincipled actions of those who give us a bad name. Points of information, freedom comes with the responsibility of the liberation of our people. All post of the NBPP National Central Committee is up for election November the 29th through December the 1st in Atlanta, Georgia. In mutual trust and with great expectation, we to undersign for ourselves and for people who look to us but are not able to personally sign this document do join in this solemn declaration of freedom or death and to support this declaration and towards the success of revolution, we pledge without reservation in the spirit of freedom or death, our time, our resources, and our blood. And so as had, had I had already known, um, this is just more information confirming what was already uh, told to me was that there has been a split. There has been a split in the organization known as the Black Panther Party. The, I'm sorry, the new Black Panther party there's been a split all right and so all as i had stated in my commentary where i published that press release every new black panther party member was not involved in this vicious attack against our elder deruba ben wahad all right and so i appreciate that person sending me that information confirming what i had already uh, been told before and as i mentioned this is something that's going to have to be handled internally. It's going to have to be handled internally. I'm not a member of the N of the NBPP, but I do have relationships with some of the members, and so I wholeheartedly know their character. I mean, I know their character, and I wholeheartedly support the work that they're doing. All right, but I have long had issues with you know some of the aforementioned uh, people. And some of the things that I, I, I saw them doing, I felt like was COINTELPRO like activity. And in the very least that it was un, it was just it was just giving ammunition to our enemies to get to our enemies, man, to bring even more heat on the movement than is already on the movement, you know. And this is why I think the teachings and, and I and I learned this about the original Black Panther Party uh, in the past and other revolutionary formations that I have learned about my uh, damn it through the broadcast that I do on Sunday nights of uh, Political Prisoner Radio. And no matter how racist white supremacist suspects like Alex Jones tries to uh, confuse the original Black Panther Party with the new Black Pan Panther Party. You know, um, there's just a lot of disinformation being put out there. 
All right. And then when you go on people's white people's media and you be talking about the white man is the devil and, and all that stuff, you know, that this this stuff ain't ain't helpful. It is unnecessary. OK. And it just it just paints the movement in a way that we should not desire it to be painted. We are victims of racism. We are not racist. All right. And this is why I appreciate the teachings of Neely Fuller Jr. when he says that there's three classifications of people in the world. There are non-white people, there are white people, and there are white supremacists. Every white person is not a white supremacist. So when we engage in bombastic language, I mean, just from a propaganda standpoint, you know, those are things you don't, you, you don't say that. You don't say that. That's what the right wing wants you to say so that they could, you know, portray all black people as being a bunch of violent thugs and, and racists and, and animals and, and things of that nature. You know, Neely Fuller also talks about show offism <laughs> and I laugh every time I say it. He's telling his age. He's a he's an elder. But I, I call it keeping it realism. You know, there's this thing about keeping it real in the black community, and really it ain't nothing but showing off, showing off. Oh, you told him off and, and this and that, and, you know, dealing, playing to people's emotion and not to their intellect, all right? And so that's how I view that type of language, especially when you're on Fox News or somewhere in, 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 or you're in a public setting and you're saying those things. I was like, who, who, who does that really serve? It serves the powers that be. You know, so the new, the uh, original Black Panther Party was never a racist organization. I never heard them attack white people like that, calling all white people to be racist and things of that nature. No, they they were there was an element of class struggle as well in 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 their teachings and in their movements. So. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time about this except to say that that's, that's a punk ass move for anyone to, to beat an elder, such, such any elder. You know, again, it doesn't matter about his contributions to black liberation struggle. Any elder, any elder. And when I say elder, I'm talking about elderly, you know, in, in their 70s and, and whatnot. What kind of crap is that? You know, how was you raised? How was you raised? You know, you out here beating up old people. That's real fucking revolutionary. Again, apologies. I don't I don't mean to be cussing and whatnot, but it, this has just got me just pissed off, man. It really does. So anyway, if you have any thoughts, if you have any commentary, um I tell you, um, Yeah, um, you can give us a call, 530-881-1400, participant code is 549032-POUND, just hit star 6 and 1 uh, to comment on air. Uh, Tando Radio Show will be on air. Today will be hosted by uh, Sister C.C. Harry, uh, be filling in uh, for Brother Dave today. Uh, she has a couple of guests, and they will be uh, talking about a number of things. I don't have the information in front of me. But just want to let you know, we do have some more live streaming coming up on the network uh, this evening. 
All right, I'm going to take another break, and then when I come back, I'm going to jump on some of these other uh, news stories. Again, I apologize for me being late. I just have very low energy right now. I'm not feeling very well, so I am not um, I'm not on top of my game, so to speak. But uh, thank you for being patient with me. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back. We'll jump to these other news stories. I'll check the phone line, see if anybody has anything they'd like to offer. Uh, the first thing we'll talk about is the comments of this killer cop, Randall Carrick, out of Charlotte, North Carolina. He's on trial. He took the stand today. He made some very troubling but not surprising comments about victim, his victim, Jonathan Farrell. Also, members of the Huey P. Gooden club and the new black panther party in texas marched on the waller county texas jail in a open carry uh uh event i guess i could call it or open carry protest um this is the jail where sandra bland was found dead in the cell and um the last but not least ferguson has a police chief uh his record i'm talking about his record as a a neo slave catcher it is not a good record, okay? He's not one of them good cops, it appears. And so, <laughs> got to talk about that, man. Got to talk about how the system racially showcases non-white people to make you think they're trying to resolve problems or a problem has been resolved, and it's the exact opposite. These proxy tools of racism are, are very dangerous, and they are very potent tools, and, and we should not be caught unawares, all right? And then the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department buying this chemical that uh, the Israeli Israelis use against the Palestinians. So I tell you, man, this is occupation. They, these police departments do not protect and serve. They occupy our communities. And like Darubal Ben Wahad says, that they ought to be in fear for their damn lives whenever they come into our community and, and you know, to practice slave catching and white supremacy. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. We'll be back on the other side. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Upside your head, and then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you, bust you all upside your mouth, and then take you to court and charge you with assault. What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it when a black man? has no voice in court, has no nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give. My brothers and sisters, we have to put a stop to this. And it will never be stopped until we stop it ourselves. They attack the victim. And then the criminal who attacked the victim accuses the victim of attacking him. This is American justice. This is American democracy. 
Welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. And that clip of Malcolm X talking about police beating up on people and then blaming the victim, uh, that is what's going on here uh, with this uh, manslaughter trial. And plus, I already knew that this was going to be uh, the avenue that they were going to take because they're racially showcased um, black attorney defending this white cop. Um, he pretty much laid out their strategy uh, to demonize the victim. That's what they, because, you know, he made statements, oh, hey, we'll show that Jonathan Pharrell was a drug-smoking, you know, pot-smoking alcoholic, and he made bad decisions all his life, just totally uh, attacking the man's character and with uh, with lies, man, with lies. Every brother ain't a brother just as well can be undercover. That's what Public Enemy said to me over 80, I mean, excuse me, in the 1980s. Every brother is not a brother. All right. So anyway, let me see if I can play uh, this clip of Randall Carrick uh, testifying today. Um, this is like 32 minutes long, so I'm, I can't play all of that. But let's see if we can get some of the relevant uh, comments. And it's not working. Okay. Are you Wait overpaying on your utility bill? All right. Let this ad run out. I'm on WBTV.com, a Charlotte news station. And uh, let's see if we can hear uh, some of the relevant commentary. Class 161. You're a... Um, you're training to be a police officer. You're in a non-sworn position, and you're learning to become a police officer. Why did you start at Animal Control? Because I, I worked through high school, and right out of high school, I worked full-time. I was unable to go to college. And when I applied for the police department, they advised me that I needed some experience or to get a college degree um, before I could pick. Before I could get accepted, and um, the recruiting officer suggested me try a, another position in CMBD, and it got me into animal control. How long was he again? Six months. Same written testing? Yes. Did you take physical testing? Yes, sir. Did you learn about use of force? Yes, sir. Did you learn about using deadly force? Yes, sir. Do you recall taking and passing and testing methods? Yes, sir. Do you recall taking and passing and testing communication? Yes, sir. Do you recall taking and passing and testing during the public? Yes, sir. Do you recall taking and passing and testing all the criminal investigations? Yes, sir. Do they teach martial arts at the police academy? No, sir. Do you have any expertise outside of the academy in martial arts? No, sir. Do you have any military experience? No, sir. Any experience as a sniper? No, sir. Is that taught in basic law enforcement training? No, sir. Were you ever instructed or trained to shoot a suspect in the leg of the arm to wound or stop their progress? No, sir. Why not? Because it's not the biggest center of the target. We're trained to shoot the biggest center of the target. And why is that? 
that it's very difficult to hit a, a target. All right, I don't want to hear no more um, of that. It's like 32 minutes long, and I'll just share with you the commentary that kind of caught caught my eye and this goes to something I reported earlier though when he's talking about where he's asked questions about shooting center mass he didn't use the word center mass that's a military term um, but you know did they train you to like wound the person shoot them in the leg shoot them in the arm and all this we talked about a, a psychologist earlier this week who's making a thousand dollars an hour um, first of all, he's training police to to just kill people within seconds, you know, and then um, then he goes and testifies in these trials for these killer cops and saying, you know, that they to make them seem like they justify and just gunning down people in, within seconds and, and, and whatnot. So I imagine that's the line of questioning that was going on there. Um, but this is what was said that caught my eye. It says that um, on here, it says that, um, let's see, I want to get to the, yeah, prosecutor's question. Prosecutor Teresa Postel asked Carrick why he turned off his camera when he is required to keep it on. He said it was a common practice to turn it off and he didn't want to alert the suspect that he had arrived for fear the person would flee. So right there, he was trained to keep, and this brings into, you know, the uh, conversation about body cameras. And this isn't the first time I've heard of police turning off cameras when they should be turned on. So again, having these police cameras, body cams and whatnot, why I think that they would be helpful, they will not stop all of this killing. Because again, if they can just turn them off and turn them on at will. So he's saying there, unless he's lying, that it is common practice, you know, for police in Charlotte to turn off their cameras when they're cameras are supposed to be on or maybe that was his common practice to turn a camera off when it's supposed to be on and how having your camera on you know it's not like you're gonna have some big big you know light on your chest let's say you got a body camera you know and it's not gonna be like some big bright light illuminating so that you can so the video camera can clearly see, you know, whatever it is, it's recording. This guy's full of crap, man. It's full of crap. He's full of crap. He's lying. All right. For fear that the person would flee. Um, he frequently uh, was crying, trying to solicit sympathy and whatnot. I remember his mug shot. He, you could tell he had been crying. Uh, also, what was interesting to me that um, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department, I don't see how you can have a policy of hiring people. You have to have a college degree, which that would be a pretty high standard for police, you know, and um but then you can you can get around that by becoming a dog catcher. So he got a year's experience he got some experience as a dog catcher. So yeah, you know, he's a dog catcher, so now he can become a slave catcher, I guess. I don't know. Now, this is what he went on to say. He he was going on to he was going to assault me. He was going to take my gun from me. 
No matter what I did, he wouldn't stop. I wasn't sure how many rounds I had fired. None of them affected him in any way. I didn't think my gun was working, Carrick told the jury Thursday afternoon. Now, again, this reminded me of Darren Wilson talking about Michael Brown was a demon. Like, you know, he was just, it was just unreal. It was just, you know, he wouldn't stop. He, he sounded like and looked like a demon. You know, this is the same thing here. The same thing. I didn't even think my gun was working. I, you know, I didn't shot him and, and he just kept coming, you know, like the bullets was bouncing off his chest or whatever. You know, he's Superman. Man, this is, man. I had read, um, I had read, I don't know if it was a statement or some testimony about what had happened, but after Jonathan Pharrell was on the ground after being shot, several times and crawling away from this guy he went on ahead and fired two more shots at him uh, into him while he was on the ground because you know uh, black men are just superheroes and bullets don't really affect us like they affect white people and so you know I got to empty my damn gun into him to make sure that you know he's he, the threat is immobilized and that's what I got from that that's what I got. Part of the strategy to demonize the victim. This is the strategy that the defense attorney had laid out at, to the media at the beginning of the trial, talking about, you know, Jonathan Farrell had been drinking at night. He had been using marijuana and he made a series of bad choices and blah, 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 blah. His death is all his own fault. So anyway. This testimony, I, I imagine, uh, is still going on. The prosecution has already rested its case. I think they put up a pretty weak, pretty weak prosecution, similar to the weak prosecution of George Zimmerman that I saw. Now that I think about it, you know, I felt that they could have been a lot stronger in their questioning of him, but who knows? Maybe they were saving the tough questions to get him on 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 the stand and uh you know doing cross examination. But I thought the last witness, a police trainer that they called to the stand for the prosecution, I thought that he gave some conflicting information. Uh, it might have been purposely done to plant doubt in the minds of these jurors, you know, cause uh, cause they were just talking about. Pretty much, uh, he was talking about how they are trained. One officer pulls out a taser, the other officer pulls out a gun. And, I mean, it was just very confusing, the, the things that he was saying, you know. Um, so I was, I was like, man, I wonder if they went over his testimony with him beforehand. Um, because if so, then, you know, this is kind of messed up, man, because he's planting doubt in the minds of the jurors. So that could be the plan. Who knows? Anyway, let me move on. Um, let me see. I got about five minutes till I'll take another break. Let me check the phone line, see if we got anybody wants to make a comment. Uh, nobody wants to make a comment. Um, I did get a request from someone asking me to uh, that video of Jared Ball. It's, it's on YouTube, the Real News Network, but I will try to find it again. Uh, after the program and I will um, share it with the person who asked me for it and I'll post it to Black Talk Radio um, Network. All right. So I'm going to take another station identification break and then when I come back, I'll hit these last two news stories. Again, Tando Radio Show will be coming on air at six o'clock 
p.m. Eastern time, so make sure that you stay tuned for that. All right, this is Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines known as USA Inc. Themselves as other humans 
are intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, then the black man will think like a black man, and he will feel for other black people. And this new thinking and feeling will cause black people to stick together. And then at that point, you'll have a situation where when you attack one black man, you are attacking all black men. And this type of black thinking will cause all black people to stick together. And this type of thinking also will bring an end to the brutality inflicted upon black people by white people. And it is the only thing that will bring an end to it. No federal court, state court, or city court will bring an end to it. It's something that the black man has to bring an end to, has to bring an end to, has to bring an end to. And welcome back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For live programming schedules, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. On this Friday after hot in North Carolina, it is very hot. Um, man, what the hell is my uh, sister doing now? I tell you. All right. Okay. All right. I want to talk about... Um, this uh, new Black Panther Party, as well as uh, the Huey P. Newton Gun Club in Texas, participated in when they marched on the Waller County Jail. Uh, of course, the right wing media is demonizing these brothers and sisters, and you know, while at the same time they appraise somebody like the so called Oath Keepers who show up with guns in Ferguson. But let black people get armed and whatnot and exercise their Second Amendment and First Amendment rights. Oh, you know, all of a sudden there's a damn problem, and, and you no longer support the Second Amendment nor the First Amendment because uh, black folks don't have no rights, is the way these people look at it. So so anyway, um, this is coming to you from racist suspect media, racist suspect media. So keep that in mind anytime you're reading anything. And I don't care if it's on Black Talk Radio Network. I don't care. But particularly if it's coming from uh, these right wing blogs and publications or if it's coming from corporate media, uh, you you need to be scrutinizing everything uh, that you read. Do not assume that these people are telling the truth. And if you must share, if you must share that information for a lack of another source, then make sure that you uh, point out to the people, you know, the uh, white supremacy deception is being practiced uh, in that piece. Okay. So with that said, I'm going to share this uh, article with you from World Net Daily. It uh, talks about this rally, again, the New Black Panther Party and Huey P. Newton Gun Club um, led a protest. This was an open carry protest outside of the Waller County Sheriff's Office in Texas. And this occurred uh, Wednesday, Wednesday uh, afternoon. It goes on to say a group of New Black Panther Party members bearing arms marched on a jail, mar marched on to a jail in Waller County, Texas, calling for death to the pigs and affirming the revolution has begun. Breitbart, they're talking about Andrew Breitbart, Breitbart.com, uh, that racist is dead now. He's worm, worm food. I don't know if y'all remember him, but of course he has his protégés, uh, 
continuing to run the propaganda operation named after him. Um, Breitbart reported the group of about 15 armed protesters chanted, the revolution is on, off the pigs, and yelled, oink, oink, bang, bang. The new Black Panther Party members were met on the outskirts of the facility by a force of Harris County Sheriff's Office deputies out of Houston. Some of the 75 or so deputies were on horses, some in crowd control, and riot gear. The new Black Panther Party uh, Panthers, uh, meanwhile, took to the streets in front of the jail to rail against the community. See there, uh, rail against the community, or were they railing against the uh, oppressors of the community? And they shouted, whose streets? Our streets. As Breitbart found, some bore AR-15 style weapons, others had shotguns, still others hunting rifles. Among their chants, Breitbart reported, the revolution is on, off the pigs, time to pick up the gun. No more pigs in my community, no more brothers in jail, no more sisters in jail. The pigs are going to get scared and finally the pigs are going to get dead. Protest leaders also chanted against Planned Parenthood, saying in a speech, we are so stupid we are killing ourselves while referencing the abortion rate in the black community. The situation turned tense at times, but nothing violent occurred and nobody was arrested. What the hell was you going to arrest them for? They were were fully uh, within their rights, practicing First Amendment, practicing Second Amendment. Uh, from what I have observed in some of their past open carry uh, actions, uh, this group down there in Texas seems to be very disciplined, very disciplined, and, um, you know, have undergone some training. And so, you know, they didn't give them a reason. They didn't give them a reason. But at the same time, you know, I heard people uh, associated with the Black Lives Matter movement up there in Ohio at a rally for the John, for John Crawford III, who was gunned down in a Walmart in uh, Briars Creek, or was that Beaver's? Be- yeah, it was Beaver's Creek, Ohio. Some of those Black Lives Matter people had a problem with armed protesters who had been protesting on behalf of John Crawford III for showing up with their rifles and whatnot, saying we don't want violence and all this and that, you know, and uh, pretty much following in the footsteps of the nonviolent integrationist movement, as Daruba Ben Wahad uh, stated earlier on that clip. And so I think that this was a constructive demonstration um, it is valuable propaganda. It also sends a strong message. It sends a strong message that there are some black people who are not just going to turn the other cheek while you gun us down in the streets and, and murder us in your jail cells and on your plantation, prison plantations, and that people are tired of it. They're tired, been marching for 40 years and what has that gotten us and again I will refer you to the commentary and the analysis of Daruba Ben Wahad that we shared with you earlier from the Real News Network alright so I, I I just want to give a salute to these brothers and sisters that were uh, in Texas and Waller County for exercising uh, uh, open carry protests because you know we cannot read about our history of struggle in this country and then we're getting that history from our enemies who who leave much of the history out of armed self-defense 
our people have survived on this continent for as long as they have with being surrounded, you know, by these terrorists because they practice armed self-defense. There have been many casualties, too many casualties on our side only, on our side only. But, you know, um, the only reason we have survived as long as we have and have not been totally annihilated is because we have practiced armed self-defense. And they don't like to see that, you know. They they don't like to see black people with guns. They don't like to see, as, as Robert F. Williams said in his book, or title of his book, Negroes with Guns. So, um, you know, 75, they, they turn out 75 of these uh, uh, cops and stuff to uh, oppose these brothers and sisters out in the streets. So, anyway, that that's a that's the good message to be sending. So, salute to you brothers and sisters down there in Texas for uh doing what you did. Now, the last thing I want to talk about uh let me check some of my messages right quick. Sometimes people email uh about the show. Okay. All right. Uh the next thing I want to talk about is this black police chief I'm going to let you hear some of his commentary. Let me close out some of these windows for my system lock up. Let you hear some of his commentary. This is the new Ferguson police chief who is uh, black. Let's see what he has to say. This interim, he's described, his name is Andre Anderson. And um, he's been suspended at least three times in the past, according to... Uh, a report that I saw. So let me let you hear uh, his commentary and things that he has said. I'm just waiting on this thing to start up. Hold up. All right. Musty odors in your home? <laughs> Eliminate them. All right. Give me a second. I'm letting this ad uh, go by. Sometimes these ads on these different web websites or these videos on these different websites uh, hang up and do all kind of crazy mess. But I want y'all to listen to uh, this guy, uh, Andre Anderson, Mr. Andre Anderson. So let's talk about my first plan of action. And that is simply to build trust, to develop community policing in this area with exception. In Ferguson, the President's Task Force on 21st Century Policing and recommended practices will be my first call of duty. That in conjunction with recommendations from the Department of Justice will serve as a template that I will use to cultivate relationships that we know and hope will reshape our direction here in the city of Ferguson. Lastly, I am asking the city of Ferguson, community members, mainly the community members, and leaders, if we can set a course in the history books that clearly proves that peace prevails. The resurgence of peace, inclusion, and resolve is a national trend, and it endures, and it can reshape our image. So, yeah, reshaping images, that's all we got to do, right? Reshape the images, not uh, reshape the police department, just reshape the image. Anyway, give me just a second. Um, Andre Anderson, according to this NBC News report, 
Andre Anderson is a veteran Arizona cop and the interim chief of Ferguson Police Department. He was previously suspended three times in one year. The uh, news website Vocative found through a Freedom of Information Act request. He also had an order of protection against him and was accused of falsifying official documents. He is on a six-month break from his post as police commander in the Phoenix suburb of Glendale, using vacation and then unpaid leave for his time off. Anderson was hired to help turn around the 45-officer department, which was rocked by several resignations in March after the release of a damning Justice Department report that found a culture of racism in the police department and municipal offices. Now, I will point out to you that that uh, Justice Department report noted that there was some uh, laws that were broken, but yet not one of these cops was ever prosecuted, and that even includes Darren Wilson. All right, so Anderson, a former amateur boxer, has been with the Glendale Department for 24 years. He briefly worked in Phoenix and the small city of Tolleson. While he has received glowing, glowing reviews overall, there's a glaring blemish on his record. He was suspended without pay for two days in December of 1996, again suspended without pay for eight days over July and August 1997, and then suspended without pay for two days that September, according to Volkative. The 1996 suspension stems from significant problems during Anderson's time on a drug enforcement administration task force. See, there you go. There you go. Veteran slave catcher out there working for the DEA, which, you know, I have, um, man, that woman over there, Michelle Lionheart, I wonder if they've sacked her yet or fired her yet, but, you know, they had a deal with the Sinaloa drug cartel to allow them to smuggle drugs into uh, Chicago as long as they gave them information on their rivals, in other words, snitched on rival gangs. Yeah, that DEA, all right, and so... Again, you know, I just don't, I don't, I just don't see uh, how people think that hiring more black cops who have who have a lot of years in this culture of corruption, this culture of neo slave catching in 21st century slavery and human trafficking, how people believe or why people believe that these people are the solution to the problem of police terrorism, let alone racism you know, in their practices. I don't I don't think so. Uh let me see. The city also responded to an order of protection against Anderson lodged by a woman who claimed in nineteen ninety six that he struck me in the face and it caused severe headaches, swelling and broken blood vessels around my lower eye. No criminal charges were ever filed and the order of protection lapsed about six weeks later. Well that just simply tells me that um, you know, the blue wall of silence was going on there again. How many times do these cops get arrested for the crimes that they they commit? You know, and and this is probably an act of domestic violence, although I'm not sure. So anyway, um, we can see what's going on in Ferguson right now, as it was recently reported that they use live fire, live ammunition to disperse a crowd that was blocking the street in Ferguson. So, uh, yeah. 
He's really changing that culture, isn't he? He's really changing that image, you know, and then allowing, um, which again, you know, you can't, you can't strip people of their, their rights, but you know, uh, not much was said about the oath keepers coming in from outside of the community being armed and whatnot and, and, you know, walking around the streets of Ferguson. But anyway, um, this also in related news in that area I want to bring you to is that the St. Louis Police Department, the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, um, our, right now I'm remembering where another black cop working for St. Louis PD said, let me turn off this camera while y'all whoop that nigga's ass. You know what I'm saying? No, she didn't actually say that, but she did say, y'all hold up, wait a minute, let me turn this camera off while they was beating up this black dude. Alright, so anyway, uh, three months after Ferguson erupted in protests over the police killing of unarmed black teenager Michael Brown, the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department added an Israeli weapon called Skunk to its protest-crushing arsenal. Arms Industry News website Defense One has confirmed. This is being reported to you by ElectronicIntifada.net, which is a website that uh, reports a lot of news focusing on the Israeli uh, occupation of the Palestinian people. Skunk is a crowd control uh, malodorant developed by the Israeli police in collaboration with OrderTech, an Israeli company that specializes in scent-based weapons and tested on Palestinians. Released at, at high pressure from a water cannon, canister, or grenade, skunk liquid emits an odor described as a mix of rotting animal carcass, raw sewage, and human excrement that sticks to walls, clothing, hair, and skin for days to weeks and, it, it, and is impossible to wash away without a special soap that is only accessible to the police. Romala-based activist and writer Miriam Bargatti once told the Electronic Intifada that the water lingers on your skin to a point, to a point when you want to rip your skin off. First deployed by Israeli armed forces in 2008, skunk water has become a fixture in the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem. Israeli forces routinely douse entire Palestinian neighborhoods in skunk water, deliberately spraying it into private homes, businesses, schools, and funerals in what the Israeli human rights group B'Tselem calls a collective punitive measure against Palestinian villages that engage in protests against Israel's colonial violence. So, you can read the rest of this, but it appears that, let me see, according to, let me share this, according to a November the 14th purchase order obtained by Defense One through Missouri's open records law, the St. Louis uh, Municipal Police Department purchased 14 1.4 liter canisters of skunk for $428 along with two types of portable skunk delivery canisters that resemble fire extinguishers. Among them were two refillable MK46 HE canisters for $1,284, which can spray up to 60 ounces of skunk as far as 40 feet away in five single-use MK20 
Titan canisters totaling uh, $198.90, which can hold up to 20 ounces of skunk spray with a spray range of 24 feet. Um, now they is saying that the uh, second invoice shows that they modified an order in January of increasing the purchase of special soap decontaminant de from one to four gallons, all right, and the revision is labeled as emergency purchase. So, anyway, they're going to use biological weapons against protesters. That that is it in a nutshell. And so, it was giving me some some things to think about in terms of of counter of countering these sort of measures is that perhaps somebody needs to uh, start uh, coming up with their own biological uh, stinky weapons that you put in water balloons and, and, you know, you throw back at the people that spraying you with this chemical. You know, you, yeah, yeah, I can think of some things, but I don't want to sound gross, uh, on these airways, but hey, if they're, if they're going to attack you with such, such things, then, you know, develop your, your own countermeasures is all I got to say about that. All right. Again, Tando Radio Show will be coming up here in uh, just about 10 minutes. Um, I need to go over some things as this is a substitute host who's never hosted uh, the program before. So I'm going to close out the program early. Um, again, my thoughts, my prayer, prayers. Um, I'm going to send those healing vibrations to our elder, uh, Daruba Ben will hide and hope that he has a speedy recovery without any complications uh, with the serious injuries that he has received at the hands of some undisciplined uh, thugs, it seems. And I mean that. that. I mean, that's thuggish-ass behavior. All right? You jumping on 71-year-old men. But anyway, I tell you, man, we ain't got enough enemies uh, in our community. Anyway, I will be back on air Sunday night with a episode of Political Prisoner Radio. Uh, most definitely, we will be talking about the recent murder of a one of our revolutionaries, Hugo Pinnell, who was murdered in a San Quentin prison. He had been in prison for over 40 years. He is a comrade of George Jackson and had been, you know, uh, enslaved on the prison plantation along with comrade George Jackson. And he was recently murdered, recently murdered. And we want to talk about that on Sunday night on Political Prisoner Radio. Um, he should never have been in there. And, you know, a lot of people, man, just don't know. We got so many uh, veteran revolutionaries who are being tortured on these prison plantations and being and, and being murdered. So we want to talk about that. Um, I think Sister Rafael Juan Gaza will also be joining us from the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. Uh, she runs the Low Power FM station, which carries political prisoner radio down there in Greenville, uh, South Carolina. So uh, she has some things that she would like to bring to our listening audience attention. So we will look forward to speaking to Sister Afia. Uh, Juan Gaza, who's been like uh, Daruba Ben Wahad, a longtime advocate for our political prisoners. All right. 
So uh, make sure, though, that you stay tuned into the Black Talk Radio Network. This digital radio station is new black media for the new millennium. Even when we're not streaming live, uh, we are running pre-recorded programming or we're running some lectures and whatnot from uh, some educators and, and uh, researchers. So recognize the fact that we live behind enemy lines. There are casualties being created out there on Battlefield America every day. So therefore, you need to develop Battlefield awareness. Once you get that Battlefield awareness, then you can learn how to engage in behavior that will decrease the likelihood that you will become a casualty. There is no foolproof method to prevent casualties. And in war, there's always going to be casualties. But anything that you can do. To prevent yourself from becoming a, a casualty, you should do. Okay? So y'all just be safe out there over the weekend. I don't want to hear about any of you getting killed. I don't want to hear about any of you getting enslaved and whatnot. And just be safe. Just be safe. Recognize the fact we behind enemy lines. And be codified. All right? And move, you know, with all due diligence. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Be safe. We do whatever we do to survive. Drop it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.